Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you could be with us today. I'm so privileged to be able to pastor this community of faith. We've been here for quite a number of years, but we've never experienced years like we have any one of us, the last two especially, and being closed for so many months and finally being able to be open today for Easter Sunday is such a, an incredible experience for all of us. And none of that could have been possible if we didn't have such dedicated volunteers who every Sunday made it possible for us to continue meeting online and also to meet in person. And if we could just take a moment to just just celebrate those incredible people, those volunteers who made it possible each and every Sunday that brought us to this day today. Can we just thank them? Well, today we're obviously talking about the resurrection, but I want us to think about it a little differently today. I want us to imagine what it was like in the hours and the day before the resurrection took place. There's something about being on a spiritual journey that leads us at times to experience quite a few moments of emptiness. And that's why this series is called The Journey to the Empty Tomb. But in reality, Jesus experienced moments of emptiness on the way to the tomb. And the disciples finally realized that the emptiness that they were living in their own lives was leading them to an even greater experience, one that they had not even anticipated. Although they had been forewarned, they had not fully understood, and when the time finally came, they were still shocked. They were still in awe. They were still confused. They were confounded by the events, and, and they had been preparing for something else, and then all of a sudden, something else happened. I know that many times in our own journey, we are confused about what is happening in our lives. We are uncertain about many things and about many circumstances that feel like they are winning, like they are having the victory over us instead of us, the victory over it. And yet we have been brought to the conclusion over and over again that God is faithful, that he sees us through, that we understand things when we give him the opportunity to reveal things. And if we are faithful in the journey, there is so much that he can reveal about the emptiness that we're experiencing, but also about the fulfillment that is about to be experienced. So today I want to speak to you about two people who wanted to hide their relationship with Jesus. 
And those two people, Nicodemus and Joseph, were both part of the Sanhedrin. It was a council that was given permission to rule over Israel. And because it was a theocratic state in which they believed that their government was God, it was religiously led by these 70 men. And two of those men made a decision to follow Jesus, but they couldn't expose themselves fully as being his followers. And so Nicodemus came at night and asked questions of Jesus, but walked away not understanding what it would mean to be born again. Joseph of Arimathea shows up, but he shows up in asking for the body of Christ so that he wouldn't remain on the cross. And, and in both these situations, they made decisions to finally reveal themselves. And to this day, we continue to speak of them. Joseph, in fact, uh, risked once again to bring the body of Jesus down, and he also risked contamination religiously and was, could have been exposed and even excommunicated in a sense, kicked out of the Sanhedrin. Nicodemus shows up with Joseph. They do it together. And the Bible tells us that they generally, when they came time to bury someone, they would use about a pound of spices. And the Roman pound um, is not quite our U.S. pound, and it was less than that, so 75 instead of 0.75 instead of a full pound. And the Bible tells us that they actually brought a hundred pounds of spices. Now Joseph of, of, of Arimathea had the wealth to be able to do this. Nicodemus obviously played his part in, in doing it too. And, and, and in those days, if we look at what a hundred pounds in the Roman weight system was, it came out to about 75 pounds in the U.S. system, and that 75 pounds of spice was worth $200,000. And if the average person needed one pound, why would they bring a hundred? Well, I'm not going to tell you yet. It's coming. But I want you to grasp what is happening in this story. They're not treating Jesus like everyone else. He's not being treated like the criminal that he was crucified as. And so in John, this passage that we're going to read, let's take a look. The first passage in John, it's going to give us in chapter 19 some insight into what we're talking about today. And it says that afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, he asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph came and then took the body away. Let's keep going. And with him, look, look who shows up, Nicodemus. And we only meet Nicodemus in chapter 3 of the Gospel of John, but now we see him again in chapter 19. 
He's spoken of in chapter 7, but now he's, he's out. He's not hiding what he believes anymore. And so he goes with Joseph. And he says, I'm, I'm not going to allow my life to not be in the light, to not be known as someone who believed in Jesus. And so now both of them gather the courage that they didn't have to stand for Jesus at the moment of his death because they know that a good man died for nothing. And then the man who had come to Jesus at night is that Nicodemus, and he brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Now, perfume was so expensive in those days that there's a story in which a woman by the name of Mary, who isn't Mary Magdalene, it's Mary who is the sister of Martha. For when she comes into the presence of Jesus, she weeps. And this is the same Mary who, when she weeps, is the one who is found sitting at the feet of Jesus when Martha is busy serving Jesus and the disciples and making the meal. And they're the sisters of the brother who is Lazarus. And Lazarus is the one who, of course, Jesus raises from the dead. And Lazarus, when he is risen from the dead, Mary and, of course, Martha now fully understand the power that Jesus has and that he can only be the promised Son of God. But before any of this happens, Mary, in her desire to finally be with God and seeing something that was totally and completely different than anything that she had ever experienced in her religious life, went and cried at the feet of Jesus. And when she did so, she washed his feet with her tears and dried it with her hair. And the Bible says that she took a jar of perfume that she poured out onto his feet. And this was a symbol of the day in which Mary would weep at the cross, would mourn his death, but would have also anointed his body. And at the time, everyone in the room was aghast and, and just disgusted with how the perfume had been poured out on his feet. They weren't so much disgusted with how a woman had come into the room filled with men who had wept at the feet of the Savior and wept and then dried his hair in a time in which you could easily be killed for something like that. But it was the amount of money that that perfume was worth. And when Mary poured out that perfume, she poured out something between twenty dollars and $30,000 worth of perfume on his feet. 300 denarii. That was the value of what was poured out. But now, at his, at his burial, they're spending 200000 And they're putting him in a tomb that has a value of somewhere between fifty and 100000 Jesus is being buried like a king. 
Now we know through mummifications and from watching movies like The Mummy that when you open a sarcophagus, it deteriorates because it has the air infiltrate and it deteriorates the body and the work that was done in, in, its, in its preservation. Now, when you bring in a hundred Roman pounds of spice that is perfumed, I, I, have you ever been to the country, anybody? Have you ever seen a bale of hay? Okay, I want you to imagine two bales of hay worth the size that had been put into the tomb of Jesus. That, that's the quantity we're talking about. So this idea that the women in the morning were going to come and perfume the body, I mean, how much more could you perfume it? How much more could they come and bring? What more could they do? But in their minds, they were going to do whatever they could. They were going to offer what they had. And they were going to show up and do what needed to be done. But in this story, we understand how much had been put inside that tomb. And so, look, if you're going to rise from the dead, I want you to understand that the preservation of that body between Friday and Saturday to Sunday morning had been preserved also with the amount that had been put in there. Of course, God didn't need the spices, but I think you need to understand what the disciples were trying to do. They were trying to make the body of Jesus last as long as they possibly could. And they were gonna pack that tomb there was nothing else they could do. They couldn't save him. He was already dead. But at least we could preserve him. At least we could perfume him. At least we could do this. We can't do anything else, but at least we could do this. And did you ever feel like when, when someone has passed and you just wish you could have done something? Wish you could have been there? Wish you could have done more? Imagine the guilt that was going through their minds and hearts for two guys who had remained hidden, now who have come out of the shadows. They'll do whatever it takes. Sometimes when, you're, when you feel guilty, when you know you did wrong, when you know you could have done more, you, you kind of overcompensate. If the average person gets a pound of spice, we're going to bring a hundred. And it wouldn't be enough to make up for the fact that, that I didn't follow you like I could have. I should have sat at your feet and paid attention. I should have followed you wherever you went. I should have took your teachings to heart. Why did I abandon you? Why was I so afraid to follow you? Why was I so embarrassed of losing? When now I've lost you, the greatest thing that I could have ever had in my life. You know, it, it's not easy to come to that realization. And, and sometimes when we come to it, we come to it a little late. And that's what kind of happened to these poor guys. But the Bible tells us that they fulfilled a prophecy in doing this. And let's take a look what it says in that prophecy in the book of Isaiah. And in Isaiah, it says that he had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone but he was buried like a criminal 
and he was put in a rich man's grave. And something that had been prophesied hundreds of years before it was done had now been fulfilled. And so we just learned a little bit more about Nicodemus and, and Joseph. But there's someone else who comes into the story, another Mary. Her name is Mary Magdalene. And she's also found in John. Let's take a look at this passage in, in John. And we're going to read this part of the story where she is going to describe her encounter with Jesus. And it tells us that Mary was standing outside the tomb and she was crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and she saw two white-robed angels. One was sitting at the head and the other was at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Let's keep going. Dear women, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied. And I don't know where they have put him. And she turned to leave and they saw someone standing there and it was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. And she says, and Jesus says, dear woman, why are you crying? And Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener, sir, she said. And if you have taken him away, then tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. And Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and she cried out, Rabboni, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said which tells us that she did touch him. For I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. And then Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord, and then she gave them this message. The Bible tells us that after the resurrection, that Jesus began to appear to certain disciples. And one of them here in the story is Mary, who first has an encounter with the angels and then has a personal encounter with Jesus himself. And what's interesting is that the Bible makes it very clear that when Jesus resurrects, that he appears to over 500 people. And those witnesses were documented in the history of that time. And so there's no doubt that the tomb was empty and that the resurrection took place. At the time in which we are today, we can doubt that so easily because as time passes, history becomes something that we trust less and less. And we have all heard about how history can be rewritten and how it was often rewritten even by the victors. But in this case, we see that these were a people who did not have power. They were not in power and therefore did not have the power to rewrite history. The accounts that are given by the witnesses are witnesses who were believed because not only were there so many of them, but these were people who were powerless who didn't have the ability to affect the kind of change that would have brought people to rewrite history of that time. And so one of the things that's important to say in the story of Mary is in contrast to the story of Joseph and to Nicodemus. I don't know this for certain because the Bible doesn't speak of it. 
But I do know that when it shows us who Jesus appeared to, there's two people who Jesus does not appear to in the scriptures, and it's Joseph and Nicodemus. And it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love them. It doesn't mean that he didn't accept their repentance. And it doesn't mean that he didn't change and transform the entire outcome of their lives. I'm just saying that Mary gets a different experience at the resurrection. And I want you to pay attention to this because it's really, really important. God does not want us to be motivated by guilt. He doesn't want us to have an experience with him so that we can somehow make up for all the garbage that we've lived and maybe done in our past. He doesn't want us to follow him because we can somehow make up for the mistakes that were made at some point in our journey to this empty tomb. Jesus wants us to understand that no matter what our journey has been, there's only one thing that he always wants us to know, and that is that we are loved by him. But the experience of Mary is nonetheless different. Jesus gets to talk to Mary. She appears to Mary. She speaks to Mary. Mary gets to touch Jesus. She gets to have an encounter. She hears his voice. She gets instructions that she then gets to share. And what I want you to see is that the contrast in the story is this, is that sometimes we're at different places in our spiritual journey. And, and Joseph and, and, and Nicodemus were at a different place. So they don't get to have the same kind of encounter. They don't get to hear the voice of Jesus. They don't get to see him. They don't get instructions in how to share that message to others. But Mary does. And we sometimes hear of people who on the spiritual journey are further ahead and they talk of God in a way that we don't understand. They hear from God in a way that we don't get. They have dreams and visions and experiences that we would love to have, but we don't have them. But you have to understand where you are and where God is still leading you. So what Mary shows us is the experience that he wants us all to have. He doesn't want us to be spending hundreds of thousands to cover our guilt, to finally leave the night for the day, to go into the presence of officials who we were trying to avoid and demand for the body of Jesus. We're no longer worried about being ceremonially unclean or being ostracized by our religious community that made it possible for him to never experience what it would mean to truly teach the people without opposition. Because it was God's plan all along that he would go to the cross. Someone had to die so that we would never have to. We cannot blame a people for that. We cannot blame a time in which Jesus came for that. 
We see that Jesus doesn't pray in the garden, can you spare me from the religious leaders? He says, God, do you have another plan for me? Is there another way? Or do I have to take this cup of suffering and drink it? And then he decides to go ahead, to go forward. He pays the price. And so my question to you is a simple one. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're Nicodemus. Maybe you're Joseph. Maybe you're where Mary is. And maybe you're somewhere in between. But I do know this. God has so much more he wants to show you. So much more he wants to reveal to you. So much more he wants to tell you. So much more that he wants to powerfully use you. So much more that he wants to work in your life and through it. There's so many messages that he wants you to give to the world. And if you're open to this, and if you will find yourself at the empty tomb, if you will go there, I know that Jesus will meet you wherever it is that he is waiting for you. He's waiting for you right here, right now. He's wanting to welcome you and receive you and reveal himself to you. And so wherever you are on this spiritual journey, know this, that God has something amazing in store for you. In 2 Corinthians and in chapter 5, I want you to read this verse with me. And it says that either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to the old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, but instead they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Can we say amen to that? Jesus did that for you. He did that for all of us. And God is ready to do something new in our lives this Easter. He's ready to do something new for us tomorrow and in the days to come. He's ready to reveal himself in newfound ways. He wants to pour into our lives. He wants to speak to us and give us messages for us to be able to speak to the world. That's what he wants. That's what he desires. And he's ready to do that for each and every one of us. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer? And I would invite the worship team to come back for one more song as they would lead us in worship. And so, Father, as we come before you wanting to have this new experience at the empty tomb, Mary went with expectations of what she was going to find. And when she got there and the tomb was empty, instead of rejoicing, Lord, she wept. She wept because her expectations were not met. She wept because she believed that more harm had been done. She believed that the body had been taken. She believed that she would never be able to worship Jesus again. But then she heard from the angels and then she heard directly from you, Jesus. And you reminded her that you had a plan all along and that no one touched you, you raised yourself from the dead. And today, God, as we come before you, our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you have revealed to us in our spiritual journey. 
Lord, you know where we're at. You know what we're struggling with. You know what we're trying to make up for. You know the guilt that we still may carry. You know what it feels like to have the doubts that persist and the things that carry us and burden us and sometimes even bury us. But Lord, I pray that in this place we would experience the power of your resurrection, that we would have this encounter like Mary had, and, and we would experience something new and powerful from you. I pray your blessing upon each person here, Lord. You know what burdens they need to lay down. You know what victory they've been praying for. You know what change they've been seeking. You know what health they've been needing. You know what finances they've been asking for. You know what dreams they have and the life of fulfillment that they desire to live. I pray, God, that you would bless each and every one of them today, right here, right now in this place. And I pray that today we would all experience the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you immensely.